next scary movie. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined once again by my twin brother, Eric, and we are excited to be bringing you some more talk and review of some recent 2019 horror movies. Eric, how are you feeling about it today? I'm feeling good as we get the chance to kind of uh, tick off some of the movies we previewed in our uh, I think second or third episode ever. Uh, it gets it feels good based on like we can kind of go back and look. Oh, what were we saying about this then? And then you can kind of compare it to how you feel after you saw it. So we'll be able to do that with uh, at least one uh, one half of us. We'll be able to do that with two of the movies on that list. Yeah, and uh, it's a like you said, it's a nice callback to a previous episode with our 2019 preview, which I think was episode four. I could be four. wrong, okay. but. Um, yeah, so the two movies we're going to be talking most about, and one we're going to be really talking most about, is 2019's Us by director Jordan Peele. This is one we both have seen in theaters now, and we're going to be doing a quick spoiler-free discussion of it and a review kind of recommendation for our viewers who haven't listened. And then if you want to skip the next part, we're going to do full spoilers since we have both seen it. Um, we will warn you when we are jumping between those sections, and then we are going to do a spoiler-free review given by Eric for 2019's Pet Cemetery, which comes from the director pair of Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmire. I'm excited to get that because I have not seen it yet, and as a big Stephen King fan, I'd like to, and so I'm excited to hear Eric's thoughts on that. Eric, I'm uh, hoping you brought your A-game for paying attention and, and ma- making mental notes during that movie. Yeah, I'll do my best. I mean, I'm only human, so we'll see. But uh, one thing I want to touch on is... Uh, so mentioning this 2019 preview podcast we did uh, I always like going to horror movies just so I typically avoid trailers I'm the kind of person who doesn't need to see a trailer to get excited about a movie but I I do kind of enjoy the small little trailers you get at movies and so a trailer for a movie that I think looks super fun that I saw at both Pet Cemetery and us was it's called Ma and mm-hmm. I'm, basically, I'm familiar, yes. Oh, you are familiar. Okay. So for, I, I've, I've, I think I, I also saw a trailer for it at um, when I was seeing Us in theaters as well. For anybody who's unfamiliar with the idea, the basic concept is that uh, there's a group of like teenage friends who befriend this older uh, black woman because she allows them a place to like party and drink, which is at her house. And then it seems like it slowly devolves into them realizing that there's a little bit more going on with this motherly figure that they've become so affixed with. And uh, it seems like the kind of movie that would be super fun to watch with a group. And uh, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad we missed it on the preview podcast just because uh, it shows you how deep the horror genre is that things that seem so much fun like that can slip through the cracks and just kind of pop yeah. up on, without uh, being on your radar. Yeah, and I think during that podcast, we we made sure to say, like, we're not covering everything. There's too much to cover. This is just some of the stuff we know we're excited about. So, yeah, there's going to be, I I mean, by the end of the year, if we end up doing a 2019 top 10 or 2019 in review or something, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of movies in our, that were some of our favorites that we did not cover in the preview. So, definitely it's going to happen. And last thing to touch on the previews, uh, Midsummer, which we did touch on, it's going to be the directorial follow-up on Hereditary. Right. Uh, that looks fantastic. It looks yeah. like if you uh, made a good version of the new Wicker Man, 
and just like every, like all the good parts about that just made them so much better without having Nicolas Cage in it. Yeah, so. I'm super exci- super excited for that. A24, uh, who's doing Midsummer with uh, Ari Aster as the director. A24 and Blumhouse are just absolutely killing it lately. So uh, yeah. I, I tend to get pretty excited for anything either of those studios have their name attached to, and that is the case with Midsummer. So also quite excited for that. Uh, so that thanks, Eric, for, for, for providing some thoughts on some trailer movies you saw and uh anything else you, that was all the ones you wanted to touch on and the only other one that i remembered that i wanted to mention was uh scary stories to tell in the dark i think mm. that looks cool uh i think we've discussed before that neither of us has too much familiarity with it just because it was never something that we uh we didn't like read it as right. we were kids but uh i think we can both appreciate the concept and uh both get excited about the new movie and we love the director. I mean, he he has two really, really good horror movies to his name in Troll Hunter and The Autopsy of Jane Doe. So we've uh, flirted with around that mo- when the time that movie comes is doing a, a director based podcast for that director and really highlighting some of the movies and maybe trying to watch more of his uh, directorial catalog because we haven't seen, I think, anything else outside of those. Yes. Okay. And that's, so, that's it. Oh, uh, the only other thing of note is that, so I, I, I went and saw these two movies together. It was my first ever bang, bang of doing back to back movies. And, uh, the first movie, it was like at four thirty, like right after I got out of work and there was literally four people in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second person who showed up, it was at like a, one of those theaters where people come and serve you food and drinks. And the waiter, he like had signed up initially for a seat in like the front row and the waiter comes and greets him and he's like yeah i saw how many seats are taken you should just move <laughs> to a better seat <laughs> um and yeah that's it and then the other one had a lot more people so okay all right cool so i think let's just go ahead and jump into a review of 2019's us and like i said this is going to be spoiler free for the first portion of it it's going to be pretty surface level just our kind of thoughts and feelings about the movie and then how we would recommend it or rate it to potential moviegoers. So I'll just kind of start with some surface level thoughts here. Um, If you're not too familiar, this is Jordan Peele's uh, second directorial movie um, after 2017's Get Out. It's going to be starring Lupita Nyong'o as kind of the main protagonist, the mother in this family, Uh, Winston Duke as her husband, Shahadi Wright Joseph, who plays the daughter Zora, and Evan Alex, the son Jason. And if you've seen the trailer, this isn't going to be a spoiler. So the kind of dynamic in this movie is that there's a a normal family and then kind of like a doppelganger family. And so both of all of these main four characters are playing these two separate roles throughout the movie. So that's kind of a really interesting dynamic where you have the same person playing at times extremely distinct characters and really having to do a lot with just facial expressions or body language to really differentiate the characters. And you, you do get really differenced, uh, nuanced feelings about these characters. I did like, I, I really almost felt like it was a different actor. So that was kind of cool. And yeah, I like, I, I thought great acting performances pretty much throughout that cast, especially Shahadi Wright Joseph, who plays Zora, because this was her first essential movie role that was a substantial at all. And I thought she did great. And uh, yeah, just wanted to highlight some really nice acting by our our four main family members there. Yeah, this was uh, certainly a concept that depended on like the 
interpersonal relationships you saw between the family, especially when you saw that juxtaposed with like the interpersonal relationships between the doppelgangers, if you will. Mm. You could kind of see like little quirks working back and forth between between those. And I agree. This is I mean, at, at the end of the day, this comes down to you see it on the cover art and you'll see it in the movie. But uh, for the most part, this comes down to the performance of Adelaide Wilson. And I think she does a very, very strong job. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Lupita Nyong'o was phenomenal. Uh, her and, and uh, Shahadi Wright were my standouts in that group. Uh, another thing I want to touch on. So I, I had a lot of respect for Jordan Peele as a director before this movie, but I came out with even more from this movie, not necessarily even on a, a storytelling basis or a, even just like how interesting of a movie he can make, but just the cinematography, the direction, and just like the visuals in this movie were very, very, very good. At, at no point would I say this movie was anything but a great example of how like well to shoot a movie like it was just honestly really very pleasant really beautiful to look at and i thought it was absolutely great in terms of that actual filming aspect i don't know if you really felt similarly eric or if it didn't make that much of a opinion for you but for me i thought it was just great well i i kind of came out with the the same opinion you did but for a different reason and uh instead of the cinematography and the filming it was due to the soundtrack and yes. this, oh yes. So this isn't even just I. I really like his use of hip hop just because I'm a hip hop fan. But I'm not even talking about like the hip hop and the little quirks with that. Just like the overtures he uses during those tense scenes and the way he allows allows them to just build upon themselves during the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's as good as any other horror movie. I feel like in the way it uses sound. Like we've we talked about in our especially in our top ten pa- podcast how. Uh, the use of sound can just really elevate a movie. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've literally, since seeing that movie on Thursday, had this a song stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, uh, and uh, is, uh, I got, I got 500. Yeah, and, and it was fun because in this movie, it's used a bit as a motif. It's used multiple times. And as the movie progresses, used in very different ways to to present a different kind of a different feeling a different sense of uh i'm trying to think of the word a different i guess mood almost uh, and you get really different mood and really different setting just based on how the music is used and, and they they also do it with different songs and at times to a comedic value because there is a lot of comedy interposed with the horrificness with the seriousness of this movie there is certainly a lot of comedy and a lot of the times the soundtrack is also playing into that there's a very funny sequence where uh uh nwa's fuck the police comes on it's just like a very goofy uh interpol uh uh kind of interposed with, with the actual kind of gruesomeness of what's going on so yeah yeah and uh this is a um i think i think some horror fans or some people in general were a little concerned that jordan peele was either going to be like a one-hit wonder or just get like incredibly typecast Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, we'll discuss it more as we get to the spoiler-free section, but even though this movie felt similar to Get Out, it was also incredibly different. So I think yes. he succeeded oh, and yeah. succeeded in proving that notion completely wrong. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. It was similar and different. It was similar in the sense that it was still told, it still kind of had an important message to it, but it was a much different message and it was much more 
up to your interpretation of how you want to take the movie and how you want to kind of define it as in, as your own head. I think there's a lot of ways you can really interpret the message, and but I think it's a much broader message, and I think it clearly was though a bit of um, social commentary, like Get Out was. So, and it just presented in an extremely different way. So I thought it was a good, a very good follow-up. I don't think he fell into the trap of making the same type of movie at all um, as Get Out. I think he came with a very creative approach and told a very interesting story with a good a good uh, message and how you can interpret that message. And it was definitely, for me, very unique from Get Out. Yes. All right, do you... Um... And so without without spoiling, I think we can both recommend this movie uh, without even giving it a rating. It's it's definitely yep. worth watching, especially it's going to be in theaters for another couple weeks. Um, this is a movie where you don't need to see it in theaters. But I mean, if you're if you're into horror movies, uh, why if not? You want, if you want to talk, this is a great movie to talk about. There's a lot to to think about after the movie. This is I've never had a movie that right when it finished that I've wanted to see immediately again so much. Like this is the first ever I, I like was walking out of the theater and I was like already like looking at showtimes later in the week because I want I didn't end up getting to see it a second time because movie tickets here are super expensive. But uh I, I just I, I've never had a movie that I was just thinking about so much right after and just wanted to see again and uh, that that was so I would recommend I would definitely say go ahead and see it in theaters and see if you actually share that same uh, feeling as I did and uh, I don't think it's necessarily enhanced by a theater specific atmosphere I mean most every movie is a little bit but this isn't one that's like oh it's it really needs to be a theater but I would just say because it's a good movie and I would recommend seeing it soon so. Go ahead and see it in theaters is my recommendation. Yes, for sure. Alrighty, I think um, I think we're allowed to get into a little bit of spoiler territory now. Fair warning. Yes, yeah, fair warning to everybody. We're going to spoil the movie. If you haven't seen it yet, we really recommend you don't listen to this segment. Just skip ahead uh, or just come back to the, <laughs> the podcast later, you know, uh, and, and uh, just come come back and listen to the rest of the podcast after you've seen it. Because right, we're recommending it. You know, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you should just go see it. So yeah, we're going to jump in with spoilers. And you want to start us off, Eric? Sure thing. Um, So, I mean, right away, I'm just instantly drawn in. So one of the very first scenes we have is a a young Lupita Nyong who is... uh, Basically, they're at like a uh, one of those little carnivals set up on the beach. Mm -hmm. And... uh, her mother and father are playing games, having fun, and then her mother has to go to the bathroom, and she doesn't trust her father to watch her, and rightfully so, she wanders off and gets lost. Yeah, they That's... don't have a very good marriage, do they? <laughs> the, no. Uh, uh, Adelaide's mother and, mother and father in this scene. <laughs> but uh, that scene was really cool to me, uh, just because you knew, you knew something was going to happen, you just don't know what, and uh, it was very, like, wellly drawn out. Like, it wasn't drawn out to just be drawn out, but... Like as she like finds finds herself in that house of mirrors and you get like the little foreshadowing where she sees herself in the reflection and then eventually she sees herself as not a reflection. Right. That was a really, really well shot scene. When you're talking about cinematography, oh yeah. That's sure. like a that's a hard thing to capture really well, and I think they did a really, really good job with that. Yeah, I mean that whole scene on the pier walking through the kind of the carnival atmosphere. I like the cinematography of that alone just like I was almost blown away with how good it looked. I'm like maybe it's just cuz I don't see too many movies in theaters here, but like I was just watching it almost in awe like to 
do all movies look this good? I mean, they don't. The cinematography was just very, very sharp and very, very good. It was just framed so nicely where it picked up uh, just a really, like, it just really felt like you were walking right behind him. It was, it was great. Yeah. And uh, especially, especially when you get uh, towards the end of the movie and you see that base, I, I don't know how we can call it like the shadow, shadow realm. Uh, you see all of that happening for Red. Oh, yeah. As she is wandering through the mm-hmm. halls of the the subway, oh yeah, subway, uh, and you just see it happening, but like mindless, and it's just like background noise. Which at the end of the day, that's what it was for uh, Adelaide. But the way that that juxtaposition came to fruition after that, what we thought was like this traumatizing moment, just to be completely flipped on its end, was mm-hmm. so so cool. Okay, and I, I don't know how you feel about the structure of this podcast, but how would you feel about doing a very, very quick plot summary, just for if any if anyone's still listening and wants a refresher, but then we mostly just focus on either theories or small things we want to add from the rest of the movie, because I think we could talk about just the the message and, and really our feelings about the movie for a lot longer than necessary is breaking down the plot. So I think it might be nice just to do a quick plot summary and then... Okay, well, is that go feel good? It. Okay, so... um. Yeah, so the, the movie essentially is this this family unit, the mother, father, daughter, son. They go on va- to their vacation house, um, and then these weird uh, you know doppelgangers show up at their house and start stalking them, dressed in red, holding scissors. It's revealed that it, they are literally their doppelgangers of the family um, with some messed up things to them. And then the grander purpose of the movie is revealed that there's doppelgangers for tons of people in this area and they start killing them, call it the untethering because they were tethered individuals who lived underground and they were um, related to them in the sense that they were cloned but had no separate soul. So there was a similar body connection and the soul kind of held the two together. They tethered them together, but like they couldn't really exist as fully functioning humans on their own. And... Yeah, the, so the realization is then this uh, battling these, uh, battling these tethered people, and trying to understand what the grander purpose is, and then it's revealed later on that Adelaide was actually switched by her tether in the opening sequence in the House of Mirrors, and so now the real Adelaide has been living living with a tethered for, you know, twenty thirty years, whatever it is, and the tethered person has been living as a real person and that's essentially the movie uh, in in the very broad strokes um so that was a terrible summary for someone who hasn't seen it but if you if you have seen it this is just very general because i'd like to really just talk about the kind of the messages and, and some interesting things there okay so, yeah i mean yeah i won't add anything since you went so simplistic and it would, be, it would feel kind of silly <laughs> to yeah. add but uh it's like, oh you forgot yeah, no, their, you forgot their white family their white friends and then you <laughs> forgot their yeah yeah um so, so i think one thing that's really interesting for me here is the relationship between the tethered individuals and the people living you know, normal humans i'll say normal humans i guess and because you get different levels of of control or interaction between them so there is this this sensation of the people living above ground the normal humans their actions and behaviors influencing the tethered you see it with adelaide dancing and then her um, tethered you know adelaide or red i guess dancing in the underground you see it with um, the son jason being able to control the actions of the tethered boy which his name is pluto i don't know if they ever said that um you know the one mm-hmm. who wears the white mask and so you see that direct connection with some of them, like J- um, Pluto or like J- like the son Jason and the mother Adelaide, but then you don't really get that all the time. So that was a bit 
don't know. That was a bit strange to me. Did you kind of get the feeling that it was maybe the connection was just stronger with different people for certain reasons and sometimes it wasn't? Like, how would, how would you feel about that? No, I think I would disagree with that. I think for the most part, it was strong with everybody. Like if you go further and you look at Elizabeth Moss, who played Kitty, mm-hmm. she had that like fascination with looking good. She said she wanted to be a model. She got some plastic surgery done. Right. Yeah. And then you had that really, really cool scene with the tethered version of Kitty putting on like the makeup and then cutting her cutting her face while like silently laughing, which I didn't know was a thing yeah, that, that people was, could do. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was very creepy. Um, so so I, I see what you're saying, but that's also not exactly what I mean. So like, no, no, I, but like, I think, I think it's just that some things are harder to portray. Like the connection between like, say um, Zora and her tethered, she's a good runner. How are you going to like accurately display that? I mean, they showed she was a good runner, but it, it, like, I think the people who had either like strong emotional or physical cues, they tried to like say, okay, yeah, this is clearly here. But things like, especially with like uh, Gabe, Gabe isn't like he didn't have anything that the, his tethered could necessarily like clearly show that made him similar. If that makes sense, like I, I think besides I, I think, like his his size and structure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I but I think for the most part, if there was a chance to demonstrate a personality quirk or like a thing that's inherent about somebody like the dancing. They try to do that. Okay. So I guess though, what I'm, I'm specifically meaning is like essentially controlling the physical actions, like, like Jason and Pluto, like walking into the fire or Adelaide and red when they're younger, like, you know, where it literally is like Mm -hmm. mirroring the mirroring the live actions. Not not necessarily just reference like kind of mirrored personality traits and characteristics, but like literally the physical movements and things you're doing in the moment is only really shown a few times and by a few tethers. Well, I think for the most part that that's really just Adelaide. I think the scene you're talking about with Jason was more so of just like the tethered being dumb and imperson impersonable or impressionable. Okay. And uh, because like you saw that especially in the scene when they were in the closet locked together, he just like. It was monkey. You don't really know what's going. Exactly. That's exactly what it is to me. And it's, that's That's not necessarily due to a connection between the tethered and the humans. Okay. I do. But I, so that, that begs me a question because I saw a really interesting theory about why Pluto's mouth and bottom half of his face was so burned. It was because, um, you, when you have Jason, he was playing with that lighter trying to do the magic trick and it wasn't working for him, but like he's done this in the past and then his tethered was also doing it, but it was working. And that was why he has all these burns because he keeps burning his face because he's trying to do this magic trick and above ground it's not working, but below ground it could be. Do you, does that, Mm. I think, I think that was a really interesting theory. Um, I don't know if I can fully subscribe to it, but I don't hate it, I guess. I mean, because it's the same way where you see Red or Adelaide dancing above ground and then Red dancing underground in the same style. Like, it's to me, that that felt like very, very plausible. Yeah, I don't I don't hate it. But to me, I think his his deformity was there because it looked good. And it just. I don't know. Some things I, I I like looking deeper into and some things I think are just there because they look good and they can let people look deeper into them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of that case for okay. his mouth deformity. Okay, that's fair. Um, One, one thing I talked about with Debbie, who's my wife, um, after the th- movie theater, and she brought up and I thought, 
made a lot of sense. And I kind of saw other people online saying is that a very broad rep- or broad message you could take from this movie is that the tethered represent just the disadvantaged people in the world. And not mm-hmm. no necessarily no um, race or ethnicity, ethnicity um, needs to be defined Just people who don't have, you know, either are poor or homeless or don't have the same options because you have these people who are, are, eating rabbits to survive they're disadvantaged and they don't seem to function in the grand purpose of society but then you have one of them switch places um at a young age and she then has grown up into a better environment and she grows up fine whereas the other person has become this deranged person and so i thought that was a really interesting idea and that it could be a really good message for how the people who are in disadvantaged situations if they stay there they'll always always going to be like that but if they if they get the same opportunity they can live you know great lives as well and i thought that was a cool idea yeah i definitely buy into that wholeheartedly uh but let's talk about whoever has the means to set up this secret society how is this just going to get like abandoned <laughs> yeah, without that... ever like an, an attempt to be utilized right. so that was very strange like, what's well, it's I, I guess there I mean there's a bunch of things that could lead towards that, but that's a whole big can of worms that you could go down as to okay, this the creation of this would have taken some absolutely massive scale and how how what you the, the explaining the backstory seems almost impossible without doing like a full-fledged movie. Yeah, it. it was almost but. like some dharma dharma initiative type stuff where the government doesn't even know anymore and it's just a small group of people who are even in the know and once they you know are are killed or whatever. I think I think they said they essentially killed some of their captors and then were free. It's like, well, nobody really knows all everything about this. So then they're just kind of roaming the undergrounds. Because it was interesting that, you, uh, oh, well, yeah, it's just these abandoned subway tunnels that thousands of people live in. Like, you'd think that that would have come up or somehow got discovered, right? <laughs> well, it's not thousands, it's millions. You especially see that at the end of yeah, the movie that's when true. you see the shot as they're crossing over the mountain range. <laughs> There's millions and millions of people linking arms. And so that's... um. Um, I kind of thought about it. So, yeah, I've seen the the theory that it's like disadvantaged people. I've also seen uh, the theory that it's a um, kind of like a comparison is to slavery, that even though like it, there was the uh, I saw someone talk about the idea that the humans said, well, it's not my fault that you guys are down there. But they also didn't want to take like responsibility for mm-hmm. like helping them get out of that mm-hmm. hole that they were dug in. Um which I think I think is valid. I think you could make a pretty good connection to that. But m- both of those theories, um, for me, in the end, feel a little stretched. Just because, unless you're like going for like this is like potentially like futuristic, because everybody was like completely connected, and then that's not never happened with like the impoverished group. And you don't see that really happen with like um, African Americans. Like, if, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like that connectivity between the entire yeah. group of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's usually like a fragmented. I don't know, but I, I like both theories because I think he was going for both, and he's. I think he's inter- at interviews after the fact now, and said, "Well, yeah, I mean, I make make my movies consciously knowing the kind of situation we're living in, and." I try to take influence on the things I see around me and blah, 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 blah. And you even have the moment where um, Red, when she is asked, I think by Adelaide, like, 
who are you or what are you? And she says, we're, we're right. Americans. Yeah, yeah. That was a very on-the-nose uh, kind of, I think, pointing towards the specific social commentary he was going for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I also thought was interesting was that um, kind of with the same idea here is the, the, essentially you're presented with the the normal people and then you have the villainous underground tethered people but at the end of the day these enemies they're still just us like it's and i think that's a representation of, of people maybe who live in like united states for example or other countries who are these disadvantaged people that turn to crime and then they become enemies or they become like these dangerous people but it's still just us it's still just humans and at the end of the day they're not so different like you know, if they had a slightly different upbringing or if they had more opportunity then they would just be like us they could be like our neighbors or our friends or something and i thought that was an interesting idea with the name us that could also relate to that one thing i liked about this movie is that you didn't it was pretty much only the plight of the main family like we saw the only other like actual characters we got introduced to was the the white friend family and they were killed off almost mm-hmm. instantly by their their tethered. And so we didn't really see like the plight of how different groups of people responded to like this threat and this idea. And you only saw like that brief news news channel talking about, well, we don't know what's going on, but these people in red robes mm-hmm. are attacking and it was but it was like so disjointed right. and so on because they never talked about like, well, yeah, these people are Mm -hmm. us like they never made that connection between it being like doppelgangers or tethered or mirrors so i liked that we only got that really personal interaction between the main family and their tethered. yeah and i think i think he also did a a purposeful um the representation of elizabeth moss's family as kind of like the upper middle like typical upper middle class type family um who are don't have a very good family relationship and then essentially just collapsed immediately when the doppelgangers came to them i think is interesting like so i was reading someone's talking about that kind of represents how the upper middle class have a very easy path through life and don't aren't used to fighting where then you have the more middle class family of um our main family and they're they're the middle class has to fight a bit more and so they're more i guess more prepared and more able to cope with some of the issues and problems that arose when they're instigated with these these villainous tethered people so i thought that was kind of an interesting idea of you have the kind of cushy upper middle class who isn't as prepared and then the middle class is a bit more prepared and a bit more able to fight for kind of themselves and that's as classic a horror trope Mm -hmm. as you can get the more adversity you've been through typically the stronger you'll be yeah and any any, like teen slasher movie the the wealthy person usually (laughs) gets off pretty quickly and doesn't uh doesn't fare so well for themselves so i would agree with that uh this one had was this one's fun for horror fans there's a lot of easter eggs i didn't take a ton of notes during it but there's a lot of horror nods and a lot of easter eggs like that and one fun one was uh did you notice on on the board you if you didn't notice you maybe have seen people mention it but so when on the boardwalk in the opening scene uh adelaide's father is like oh they're shooting a movie over there you could go, go try to be an extra and based on the date and location they were filming lost boys so it's kind of a fun little nod mm. yeah one one i noticed was um that uh jason was wearing i think a jaws shirt mm-hmm. at some point um and also you had the serious nod to oh, freddy yeah. krueger with the way that the 
the uh, gloves and the scissors. It uh, looked, and especially the coloring, like they had the mm-hmm. off red, yep. black coloring on the posters. Um, it looked like it was, I think he directly said, yeah, this is a nod to one of my And, my and Michael Jackson movies, for sure, so. too, in the thriller aspect, which is a little horror-y, too, so, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, uh, Jordan, Jordan Peele is clearly oh, yeah. a horror fan and that, that's, that's fresh. Cause like, I think, um, before Get Out, people were worried he's like a, he's a comedy, mm-hmm. comedy person coming into the horror sphere that he's just trying to like cash out or make a movie and then bounce. But he really, really yeah. likes horror movies. And that, that comes mm-hmm. through pretty strongly yeah, I in his movies. I would definitely agree. And, uh. I feel like I had more to talk to, but I'm running a little bit lower on my notes than I expected. Um, is there anything else you want to specifically touch on? So yeah, we said the soundtrack was phenomenal, especially, I guess it's more specifically with I Got Five on it, the kind of remixed version that they... Did with Adelaide and Red's fight se- fight dance sequence in the underground. Uh, I, I mean, that's like one of my favorite scenes I've seen in a movie in years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of like I thought it was just that sequence was so beautiful, so well shot, so well uh, scored, and it was just like I listened to that remix, and it's not the same without the visuals. But so many times since the movie came out, because it it really just it stuck mm-hmm. with me, and it was super. I don't know. There, there was just a lot of sequences like that that I thought were so interesting and so compelling, and the soundtrack and score really, really added to it. So that scene reminded me of something I wanted to mention. This is a cool movie in that you kind of change, or you don't change, but you become empathetic with who you are rooting against at the start of the movie, mm-hmm. um, and that's hard to do. Usually, usually people who are like ruthlessly killing, you can't really find any any side to empathize with but you absolutely can Mm -hmm. and um one thing i really really liked with the adelaide red dynamic was so you get this this tethered person in uh red 
who is seemingly the only tethered person who can speak. And it comes mm-hmm. out as this really hoarse. Uh, it sounds like she's, this is just like the voice of somebody who's like the only one of her kind who can speak. But then mm-hmm. you realize this is all due to her being switched as a human and getting her windpipe crushed when she was choked right. by the tethered. And then just never needing to talk. So like it's it's a combination of that. And then she just doesn't. Like she maybe could have recovered or something, but doesn't ever talk or doesn't have help down there. Yeah, and I saw, so, I talked to some, one of my friends who was, who had issues with like, how, how are you just going to like let this happen? And I think it kind of makes sense because she was already a shy girl. She gets thrust into this world where she can't communicate with anybody. And that's it. Like, w- w- what are you going to do? It's not like she had the the means to escape. She didn't know where to go who to ask. We couldn't ask anybody. I think it makes more sense mm-hmm. if you, if you view the, especially if you view her through the lens of um, how she became a person. Well, she did, she, she did get handcuffed though too, when she was when first got moved. Right. Did she, I believe she got hand. I believe she got handcuffed in the underground to like a bed. Oh, okay. But I mean, so then she eventually, obviously, got out and then stayed down there. So I, the the logic is still the same idea. So, but yeah, um, yeah, that uh, that fight dance scene was so so good. That's one of my my yep. favorite horror scenes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved absolutely absolutely loved it. It was really good. Um, yeah, I think there was something else I was gonna say then, but then I was kind of forgetting it um it was definitely a movie i enjoyed yeah so this is one i would okay yeah what i was gonna say is i i I, like i said earlier like i've never had a movie that i wanted to see again so quickly like and so strongly you know like because i think you can really get a a completely different interpretation of it especially watching adelaide the second time knowing what you know now i even watching it the first time i caught some stuff that was a bit off with her like her reaction to when uh zora's tethered umbre was was hit by the car and dying she had like a really sympathetic reaction because it's like well that is one of my kin it's a tethered person like i can relate Mm -hmm. to her and she did a couple things like that throughout the movie and i think a lot of her uh attitude and a lot of her her kind of interactions with her husband and stuff i think could really tie back to that trauma of knowing where she comes from and being scared it's going to be revealed so i think it'd be really fun to rewatch and kind of be cognizant of that and watching for yeah it. I, I reckon there's a lot of subtlety that you could clearly pick up on once you know what to look for that it's just easily yep. missed once once you're not looking for it so um yeah that's that, that was like my immediate reaction after i saw it it's like yeah i want to rewatch this just to pick up on those little things <laughs> yeah for sure all right eric are you are you is it too early or are you just ready to go ahead and do a rating on this guy I will, and I'm going to preface it with one criticism, okay. since I think you, my rating will be lower than what someone might expect, since it's mostly just been praise. Mm-hmm. Um, and my one criticism would be that it's not a scary movie. No. To me, it's thrilling, it's engaging, it's fun, but it's not scary almost at all to me, which isn't bad. It's not, not a bad thing. It just mm-hmm. some Some people would view it as bad. I don't, but... I could understand some people being frustrated that it wasn't scary. And I wouldn't um, say it. I think at times it was very 
I think very creepy and very unsettling. I think the the home like the very the home invasion sequence when the family first shows up is pretty darn creepy. But overall, I would say not an extremely scary movie. So overall, giving it a rating, uh, my rating is going to be eight point three, and it is just a tad below Get Out for me. Okay. My rating has a slight caveat. My uh, has an asterisk, and that asterisk is pending a second viewing. But because right now I would have it as a nine point one, uh, and that is about a full point higher than I would have had Get Out. I enjoyed this more than Get Out for sure. I thought Get Out was also a very good movie, but I, I liked this more than Get Out. And so, yeah, uh, a nine point one for me. One of my one of my favorites I've seen in quite a while. All right. Very well. Very well. Yeah, it was fun. It really can't say it enough. If you've got the chance to go see it in theaters, just get out. Get out and go for it. This is one I've seen getting a lot of mixed reviews from non-critics because critics have pretty overwhelmingly uh, panned it as being very good. But I've seen quite a few commenters um, or general public who has not not liked it nearly as much. So I'm not sure exactly what the main criticism are. I, I see a lot of people just scream plot holes, plot holes, but nothing like... They definitely didn't explain the entire backstory and didn't explain everything to you, but there's nothing glaring that really upset me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the main criticisms really are. Yeah, I I, I was trying to avoid most reviews um, just because I don't I don't need to hear somebody else's opinion before I form my own. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing I did see on my Twitter before I saw the movie is that the uh, running back for the Detroit Lions, Carry On Johnson, did not like us. Oh no. <laughs> KJ. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. As long as he runs for 1,200 yards, he'll be forgiven. <laughs> okay. All right, Eric, are you ready to jump into Pet Cemetery? I am. So do you want to uh, preface it with... Um, so you've read the book. You've seen the original. And yes, um, yes. What, would, what would you, as a fan of both, be expecting from this remake? Um... So to me, the only thing that I think the only big negative on the original is I didn't love the acting by the main character for Lewis Creed. I think he wasn't, I don't know, he wasn't sympathetic or wasn't super interesting. And I think because for me, a, a big thing is, is the early relationship between Judd and Lewis that you kind of really need to nail because the, that's the relationship that builds and really drives home and sets up the plot points that are going to happen in the later movie. Um, we'll avoid spoilers in case people are coming in here fresh, but I think the relationship between Judd and uh, Lewis, who become neighbors pretty early on in the movie, I think is just so critical. And so I'm not sure how well they portrayed it in this movie, but that'd be something that I think is really important. And then to really play up how close knit the family unit is um, before kind of the movie kind of gets into its second act, I'd say, is, is really the family relationship and then the relationship with uh, Judd, because I think those are really two built, big building blocks you kind of have to hit. Okay. And so um, so this is a movie where I was pretty unfamiliar with the uh, this the main family, acting-wise. It's the father, Lewis, is played by Jason Clark. Wife, Rachel, is played by Amy Sametz, who actually had a supporting role in Your Next, um, oh, she, I think she's just one of like the sisters who dies very early. Okay, and then the uh, the star, I guess, of the movie is John Lithgow, and he plays uh, neighbor Judd. Mm-hmm. And so, to answer your question, I think 
for the most part, this movie has pretty good acting from the both the main character and from Judd. Okay. They're both, you both, I feel like for both of them, they depict the characters well, and they also provide understanding explanations for how they're act like what what their what their actions are so like it's a it's they both i mean both of them have gone down a rabbit hole but especially lewis he really really goes falls deep off the cliff Mm -hmm. and i think they do a pretty good job of slowly piece by piece getting him there mentally okay um they 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 take some liberties that that were a little bit different from the uh, original film, which I've not read the book, so my only comparison is the original. Okay. Um, but they they uh, they allow a lot more to mentally affect him. There's like a lot more. I could I could almost compare it to um, Olivia, her spiral downwards in Haunting of Hill House. Mm, okay. To. Uh, they 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 do some things like that just to get him to the point where he's basically broken and he's like a shell okay. of himself. Um, okay. One thing I did not expect was that this movie was very scary. Yeah, very well, so scary. This is pretty widely re- uh, regarded as one of, and some people consider it the most scary Stephen King book. So uh, I could see that. I think that's I think that's what you're kind of looking for in an adaptation. I think at its core, the concept in general of having a pet cemetery and like I mean, this isn't so much a spoiler because kind of everybody knows you, if you bury you bury a cat and it comes back to life as a zombie cat, kind of sounds a bit silly. But um, the overall tone you can make very dark and you can make it very creepy with how you decide to actually do the direction of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm yeah. glad to hear you. I'm glad to hear you say that, Eric. And one of my my favorite things about the original was the uh, use of the Zelda character mm-hmm. for the uh, Ra- mother mother character Rachel being like her source of anxiety. They uh, they do some pretty good scenes <laughs> taking advantage of that. Yeah, she she was absolutely terrifying in the original. Like, I mean, it, it, it you you could really relate and put yourself in those shoes, and you how terrified and like disgusted you'd feel if you were (laughs) playing uh or in rachel's shoes there and very uncomfortable and so i'm curious to see how they how they get that going in this movie one one spoiler a small spoiler it's just going to be about a scene uh so you know the the scene where she or the uh, the plot idea where uh rachel is home alone and she's supposed to be kind of taking care of her sister zelda and Mm -hmm. she's supposed to give her food and she like sends it up in a dumb waiter mm-hmm um, there's a scene where in their current home, the dumb waiter exists behind a medicine cabinet. Okay. So like you open up the medicine cabinet and then somehow the dumb waiter is there. So you can imagine what, what mm. they're able to do with that yeah. kind of, I, I so, see a uh, jump scare <laughs> coming from that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, visually this movie was very cool. Uh, it relies on, basically in order for this to be good, uh, the pet cemetery design had to look really cool, and um, it it definitely did. Um, you, I think you mentioned that some people got upset based off the tra- trailer when you saw like kids in masks mm-hmm. just like walking around. That looks like kind of kitschy, but yeah. uh, I actually thought that was pretty cool, and it was only used in the very very start of the movie. You didn't see those kids ever again. 
Okay. Uh, I, I assumed gave... it was going to be a pretty small point, but some people were like, oh, they're just capitalizing on the creepy kids movement. Like, they're just trying to make it... Like, this wasn't in the book. This wasn't in the original. There, it's like, okay, chill. Pump the brakes is probably not going to be that pre- present. Yeah, that wasn't it at all. All it was was to give a little bit more like, pomp and circumstance to mm-hmm. the whole pet cemetery. And honestly, just give it more, like, legit, uh, to legitimize it for the most part. So, Which honestly kind of uh, makes sense because, like, it is, like, a really big local tradition. So, like, to have, like, a little bit more flair, a little more frill with it. Like, I could see that very well happening. So, I, I think that's... Uh, that really fits in line with how I would kind of expect the kids to behave. Yes. So uh, I think anybody can enjoy this uh, if they haven't read the book or seen the original. Um, I think if you've done both or done either, you can still enjoy it. I'd seen the original, haven't read the book, and I enjoyed it. Um, it feels like an adaptation. To me, um, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's like it's what the new uh, or the new it did for the 1990s original but i think there's enough that it does really well that you could put it like in the same category almost okay. that's pretty pretty high praise because we both we both enjoyed the yeah, first it's de- bit, so yeah it's definitely a fresh take um so my because my thing with the original is that i enjoyed it quite a bit but there's only so much you can do in the 80s uh, just based on resources and the things that they could have improved upon, I think they did. Okay. So awesome. I'm I'm excited. So you've um, I was planning to see this in theaters. I was hoping to have time. I might still have some time either in about a week to go see it. Uh, so Eric, would you recommend to me and to others theater viewing, waiting till it comes out, seeing or not even seeing at all? What's your kind of overall recommendation here? Um, I definitely recommend seeing. I would say if you're a horror fan, recommend seeing in the theater. If you're more of a casual fan, I'd say you could wait until it comes out. Uh, if you honestly, if you wait until it comes out and you just watch it by yourself uh, at home, uh, it'll give you a good scare. It really will. So okay. it might isn't 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 the kind of movie where you need the theater. But I'm I'm recommending theater for horror fans just because I think it's it's good enough to warrant a trip. But um, it's not the kind of movie that has like some sort of massive uh, draw towards the theater like uh, certain other ones would. But yeah, I recommend it, and uh, with, I won't give it a rating. Which I'll save that because you don't need to. You shouldn't need a number. No, you should just yeah. listen to my words. I, I trust. I trust yeah. that overall recommendation without uh, without an actual rating. So I feel good about it. And uh, yeah, so Eric, I'm glad we got together to do this chat about the two movies we've seen in theaters recently. Uh, talked about some of the stuff that's still coming up that we're excited about. And yeah, we have a lot of exciting plans on the horizon for future podcasts. So we are excited to keep listening to movies or <laughs> listening, listening uh, for mo- upcoming movies and watching new movies as they come out and give our thoughts and share our thoughts. But we're also going to not just be focusing on new stuff. We're going to get back to our roots, uh, come up, cover some favorite movies from the past. And we look forward to bringing you a whole bunch of new content coming up soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumping Scared Podcast. Have any questions, comments, just want to share your horror movie opinions with us? Feel free to reach us at Jumping Scared Podcast on Twitter or by email, jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.